Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Yeah. The last week we started this um, exploration on the topic of devotion. Uh, for those who weren't here, just uh, a few things that uh, I talked about how um, it's not a subject that's uh, given a lot of uh, attention in the Western scene and uh, Spirit Rock and some of the other um, um, lay centers. In the monastic community, it's a very prominent part of, of their practice. Like we do the chants at the end of the, the sitting, um, they do a lot of chanting, a lot of bowing. As I said uh, last week, quoting Jack when he was a monk, if it moves, you bow. That's the, uh, that's the basic attitude. And, um, and it's a very rich source of spiritual energy. Uh, because it can uh, practice can tend to be dry at times uh, as you are focusing on the pristine clarity of mindfulness, sometimes the heartfulness can um, can be uh, missed uh, and as the the five spiritual faculties talk about that wisdom needs to be balanced with faith or with a heart quality, the word sada, to put one's heart upon. Uh, And also mentioned how uh, the Buddha talked about wisdom followers who are inspired by the clarity of teachings and by seeing clearly into the nature of things, and also faith followers who have deep faith either in the Buddha or the teachings or the Dharma, Uh, and they will both take you to the same place. And as I've said, uh, I said in my own practice, um, it it is an important part of my practice, although one of the reasons that I felt like talking about it was that uh, I needed, I think, a bit to prime the pump and remember, remind myself, give myself a little pep talk as to how precious devotion is. <clears throat> That's one of the, uh, the perks of being in the Dharma seat. I get to uh, give myself a talk about whatever I want, whatever I need. You know, It's not, not that I've been devoid of devotion, but when I, I was touched, I forget exactly what it was, but something uh, in the last couple of weeks really moved me. And that feeling of being moved a familiar feeling, but had, it, had, it was such a, um, a, a, a nice revisit that I didn't realize uh, that uh, it was time for a little bit more juice. So as I spoke last week and started to get into it, um, I felt uh, I, I wanted to hang out with it again for uh, another week. And hopefully you'll, we'll get... Uh, into new territory tonight. Mm. I'm curious, before 
uh, I start talking, how many people would say that they have a devotional element to their Dharma practice? Don't feel shy. If you don't, it's okay. But if you do, okay, well, that's... Happy to see that. Um, So as I reflected on what to explore a little bit more, um, what was coming up was um, was the um, quality of humility as being a very um, central element, although it's not spoken of, but for me it's a central element. This, uh, it's intrinsic in devotion, this quality of humility that for me um, implies a, um, a reverence, uh, a a real uh, a respect, but a kind of surrender into something greater than ourselves. Now, we can be devoted not only to something greater than ourselves, but uh, we can be devoted to our mother or our parent or our father or uh, really want to serve them not from a place uh, that they're greater than, but when it comes to devotion in, uh, in terms of spiritual practice, there's a, um, some implied surrendering one's power and authority and uh, a kind of um, how can I put it? Sweet um, acceptance of something of a power differential. And this is, um, this is a radical act in our society that values toughness and strength and independence to have a quality of um, submission. When I think of Islam, which is such a devotional religion, the, the word Islam, as I understand it, uh, means submission, submission to Allah, to God. That's, that is the essence of that religion. And in that, submission, in that surrender, you are a a humble servant to something greater. This is one element. And what what I say, there there might be a number of different avenues in. So if this doesn't fit for you, don't let the, the different concepts trip you up. And whatever way enters or touches you is a way that you can you can uh, maybe open up to this channel. Uh, but in, in a very um, um, rich way, this quality of, as they say in, uh, in Judeo-Christian or Christian uh, 
tradition, not my will, but thy will, O God. And this quality of humility, of, of surrendering the control that we never had in the first place, the letting go of thinking that we're running the show and giving up. You know, you ever have that feeling when you've reached the you've reached the bottom of the barrel and you just say, I give up? Very important moment where you say, I give up. Fabulous. You've just hit the moment where you're truly ready to surrender the control that you never had. And it's the I, the ego, letting go to something greater. And, and as probably most people in this room can attest, that moment where you say, I give up and truly surrender, something often quite magical happens where something comes in and carries you. And it's not ready to carry you until you give up. But that act of true humility um, actually brings relief. It brings great relief to let go of being the agent that's running things and to open up to the freedom that comes from putting down that heavy burden or pressure that we put on ourselves. Now, it is a radical act, and it, it, takes, it takes this leap, as we often say, a leap of faith, to say, oh my goodness, what if I do really let go of control um, that you never had? Um, but it still takes a leap of faith to, um, to just trust that something else will carry you. But what you do, you're, you're giving up that internal report card how am I doing? Am I getting an A plus in having it all together in my life? The pressure that you put on yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping it all together. It's exhausting to keep it all together, as I, I'm sure you know. But in that, in that surrender, it, it softens us. It tenderizes the heart. It's just a moment where the armoring is dropped and the heart thaws for just a little, even just a little. And there's this tenderness that takes its place that allows for life to support you. So it, it opens up opens us up to a, a greater power which you can call um, a greater intelligence or love 
or creativity. Creativity is a, an excellent example of this. We've talked about this from time to time. You know when you're trying to be creative? I'm going to really come up with something brilliant and creative now. It doesn't work. Because it's you trying to be brilliant. But where does creativity come from? When you get inspired, when, you get ins- when uh, uh, um, the muse hits you, as, as we say, and something just comes through you, what's going on there? What is going on there? Can you say, hey, check it out. That was a pretty good thought I had. You might, of course, and some people do, and certainly we want copyright laws, and this is property rights and all that. But really, when you think about it, where did that come from? Can you take ownership of it? No, it's just that you were, you were not in the way and allowed whatever you call it to come through you. This is an act of humility. And this is uh, an, uh, a, an act of surrender. Mm-hmm. And whatever name you call it, and people have lots of different names for it, whether you call it the muse, or God, or the kingdom of heaven, or in Hinduism, you have a whole pantheon of, of, of deities. Um, or hmm. God in our culture, as I said last week, uh, is often um, related to as a male of very strong, super powerful male figure who's, who's running the show. And I, I, I respect, I certainly respect that mm, way to hold the concept of God. But it's one limited way to hold it. As I, I, I forget if I said it last week, the, the word God in, in Judaism is, uh, is, is, if you're Orthodox Jewish, you don't even say the name, and it's, it's sometimes written in English, G-D, because it's a placeholder for that which cannot be named. Which, that which cannot be comprehended. In Buddhism, the word Dharma is, for me, as close as one can get to it. Uh, but what is the word Dharma? Well, it's got lots of different es- uh, definitions. The natural law, the way things are. The Buddha has this one teaching he uh, he's, he's talking about particular concepts and he says, um, however one can conceive 
it is other than that. <laughs> because it's, it's just, um, it's the human mind trying to understand something that is so much vaster. How can this limited mind understand the whole show? It would be like, like an ant trying to understand electricity or nuclear physics. It doesn't have the capacity for understanding the, the, the vastness, the, the, what is beyond our comprehension. The Buddha has, uh, in one of his teachings, uh, what are called the four imponderables, things that if you try to understand, you would go crazy. Uh, one of them is um, how karma works, how cause and effect this happened, and then this happens up, up here, to really understand the intricacies. Another is the range of a mind in, in samadhi, in the deepest states of concentration. A third is how it all began. He says, he's not going there. And don't you go there either. If you, if you want to get a definitive answer, forget it. It'll just drive you crazy. You know, you can, and we can say, oh yes, I know 13.7 billion years ago, there was the Big Bang. Okay, that did it. What was going on 13.8 billion years ago? Before the Big Bang. And the other, the fourth, in case you're wondering, is he going to name the fourth, um, is the range of a Buddha mind. What a Buddha mind can know. But I would suspect that even then, the Buddha being human, there would would be things uh, beyond that comprehension. And when you, when you think about it that way and let go of trying to figure it out, what a great relief when you let go of trying to figure it out, isn't it? So for me, uh, one thing I want to do in this talk, for, for, me, uh, I, uh, for me, it comes down to um, calling it all a great mystery. Just a mystery. And there's, there's something um, so comforting about not trying to understand that for me is this, there is this humility and awe. I think I mentioned it here last week. I, I would drag my parents to the Hayden Planetarium in New York City. That was my first spiritual practice. And I just look up in the sky and go, That's enough. That was enough for me. And if we let it be enough, it fills us. As soon as the mind gets in and says, I want to know, we're trapped. We're contracted in knowing what can't be known.
So before I go on, I have more to say, but before I go on, uh, it's been a while since uh, I've played it, but I want to play my favorite Dharma rap. It's three minutes and 42 seconds. Some pe- it's been a while since I played it. Some of you have probably heard this before. But this is, uh, and, and you've heard it before, this is something I have played thousands of times, literally thousands, because there was a period about 30 years ago where I played this about, oh, six or eight times a day for about, uh, oh, six or eight months or so. That was my practice. And since then, I've played it many times. So here is um, an ode to the mystery. You ready? Hello? <laughs> yeah. okay. That was good timing. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, wrong one. Okay, here we go. Oh, no, no, next one. This is a meditation. Take it as a meditation. Just go inside. happenings will come up for you. You will feel happy and you will always help and love others, even those who are having trouble feeling happy and are even trying to make you forget the mystery. 
Someday you may meet someone who has felt the mystery really strong for a long time. So that person feels the mystery all the time and is always happy. Such a person is the best person to learn from about happiness and life and love. I hope you will remember to feel the mystery every day as long as you are awake forever. The best thing to tell anybody is to remember to feel this. I have been doing this for a long time, and it is the best and most important feeling of all. I am very happy I could tell you this. Maybe someday we will meet face to face. Maybe. Anyway, at least you and I will always know that at least one other person somewhere is remembering and feeling and loving the mystery right now. So when you surrender to the mystery and just remember to feel, love, and be the mystery itself, who is, who is the one who is being devoted to what? In a way, it's, since you're the mystery too, it's just the mystery loving itself. So there's this quality of devotion and surrender, and yet, what is it that's surrendering to what? If it's all a mystery... It reminds me there's a, a story, one of uh, um, J.D. Salinger's stories in uh, his collection, Nine Stories. One story, Teddy, about uh, this enlightened boy. And he's talking about uh, the moment that he became enlightened. He said, well, it happened when I was watching uh, my sister uh, drink a glass of milk. Yeah. He said, yeah, I was watching her pour the milk in and it was like, it occurred to me, it was just God pouring God into God. This quality of humility, uh, it's a paradox because actually what seems like a, um, um, a weakness when you're humiliated or, you're, or you, feel, uh, you feel humbled and there's a, a quality of, of, of shame sometimes, um, there's a weakness there, but humility 
is also a direct pathway to power. Because when you give up your agency, then something moves through you. And what it leads to is a quality of uh, confidence. Not that I have got it all figured out and I'm going to get it all together, but just that you can trust in something, in, you can trust in life moving through you. <clears throat> so, getting back to this, uh, to devotion from this quality of humility. Um, mm. uh, it, it can be awakened by others. It's contagious. I remember on one, one retreat, I was talking last week, and I had Reverend Gary Davis on my, uh, on my record player for a year uh, and just got that contagious uh, contagion from him. Um, but on one retreat, I was sitting at Spirit Rock. I was sitting the month long, a uh, number of years ago, the March month long. Um, and I was, uh, sometimes I get into the hall when nobody's around in the middle of the night. And I was there, uh, and I thought all by myself. And then in comes this young woman, um, and... I, I hear the steps and I open up my eyes. Who's coming in here now? And it was this young woman who went up to the altar and she lit the candle and I watched as she put her hands together and it was, it was the most devotional scene and moment um, that I could have imagined. And that was the gift. And that became my touchstone. Just seeing how pure her heart was as she bowed, said her prayers, kneeling right in front of the altar after she lit the candle. It was something that it woke up in me. And that, that quality of purity of heart and innocence um, just, it was like it was a, a, a direct line to, to love. And it opened it up in me. And I, uh, I brought a picture, you know, I, as I've said before, I... I I came from, uh, before, before getting into uh, the Dharma, Buddha Dharma, from a, a, a devotional scene. And this is, uh, this is the guy who did it for me. This is uh, right from my, he's, this is in my bedroom. I took the picture out of my bedroom. This is Neem Karoli Baba, known as Maharaji from Be Here Now and Ram Dass's other books. And it's, it was just so kind of mysterious. I read that book and the, 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 the words just leaped out 
of off the pages right into my heart. And he was, I never met him. I never met him. But there was something in what he was saying and in, in that loving energy that I felt like I was coming home and that um, I could trust. There was a trustability. And when he would say, don't you see it's all perfect? There was something that um, let me come to rest inside. It's all, even all the pain, all the ugliness, all the dukkha in the world, all the insanity, all the horrors, all the love, all the beauty, all the, the goodness and the, the wisdom, it's all the fabric of life. The 10,000 joys, the 10,000 sorrows, birth, death, beautiful sunsets, tsunamis. It's all perfect. And from, from that feeling of, of trusting, um, something really, really powerful happened to me. And uh, I, I experienced what, uh, what Einstein's koan was. He said, uh, there are um, perhaps the most important question a human being could ask themselves is, is the universe friendly or not? And there was something in that trusting of this guy, I don't know what it, what it means, that I just felt the goodness and the, the, um, the friendliness of the universe. Mm. I don't know what that's about. And sometimes I, I, in my heart, speak to Maharaji and say, Maharaji or that divine energy that I call Maharaji. Because just like the word God, he's like a placeholder for something really good and pure. That just is my channel, my way. But it might not be your way. It's not some, you can't make it happen, but you can um, invite it and be open for it to happen. And mainly from your love of the Dharma, as I said last week, uh, the Buddhist path is sometimes called the path with no railings because you can't really lean on it like you can some, some creator or some being. But when you love the Dharma, then that devotion can naturally be accessed. So it's not that you have to pray to anybody but it's really just letting yourself fall in love with the truth. Fall in love with freedom. Fall in love with goodness. This is from uh, Nisargadat Maharaj, who, from the book I Am That. He says, your sincerity will guide you 
devotion to the goal of freedom will make you abandon all theories and systems and live by wisdom, intelligence, and love. Whatever name you give it, will or steady purpose or one-pointedness of mind, you come back to earnestness and sincerity. When you are earnest like this, you bend every incident, every second of your life to your purpose. This is another expression of devotion or punjaji, one of my main inspirations and teachers. He says, the desire for freedom is the most intense desire. All other desires are on the surface. They rise and fall, you see. The desire for freedom is intense. You must respond to it. When you respond, this desire will bring you home. It will continue to trouble you if it's not fulfilled. This desire must be fulfilled whether you like it or not. So, don't worry if you, don't, if you aren't touched by the concept of God or some, some being. Just falling in love with the truth, falling in love and letting yourself feel your love for freedom. And there's that humility that comes through you, um, which juices your practice. When we take refuge, this is an act of devotion. We take refuge in the Buddha. What does that mean to take refuge in the Buddha? We chant that at the end of the, the sitting. I take refuge in the Buddha. You are taking refuge in your own true nature that is right there inside of you. And there is a of falling in love with the gift that you've been given. I take refuge in the Dharma. This moment is giving me, life is giving me what I, I need to wake up in whatever form it comes. So just uh, ask you to uh, reflect for, for a moment and we'll see what what comes up from you, just uh, close your eyes. And uh, if you can remember a time, or perhaps it's available now, when you realized how much you love the Dharma, how much you couldn't ignore that call. Maybe you can get in touch with it now. What is that that's stronger than all your doubts and your petty thoughts that carries you through whatever confusion or smallness of mind, 
something calls you that you can't ignore. What is that something? And without trying to figure it out, just surrendering with reverence to whatever it is that's called you. And for uh, just another moment, just reflect on the place of this heart quality in your spiritual life. Is it, if it's strong, notice how that feels. If there's a, a sense that it would be good to develop more, don't even try hard but just get in touch with the, the wish that it could be stronger. Because that's enough. That's the start. And I, th- I think what I'd like to do is just uh, um, invite you to go into um, triads and talk about this quality of devotion, either in your spiritual life or your take on it. And there's no right or wrong, um, but just what comes up from the talk and this topic for you. And then we'll come back together and... Uh, in a few minutes, maybe about ten minutes, and uh, and take a a pulse and see what's coming up. So just turn to a couple of people near you uh, and uh, talk about this. Okay, just another minute or so and start finishing up. Okay. So let's come back together for this the last part. And thank your partners if you like, and come on back. So, um, I wish I could have given you more time because there's a lot of, again, a lot of energy in the room. Uh, anything that um, that came up that from that that you'd like to bring to the to the room? Yes, let's see. Oh, thanks, Andrew. Raise your hand. Thank you. Um, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, the different ways, of, uh, w- different things one could be devoted to, such as as, as a spouse. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of, I saw a, a Neem Karoli Baba quote last night, actually on Facebook. I just found it. 
And it is, uh, it is not necessary to seek God as long as the parents are alive. The worship of living parents is difficult, but it is the best sadhana. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Um, and we also talked a lot about how we all feel a devotion towards nature. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned I can relate to your to being under the stars. And when I was younger, I was very into astronomy, and I thought I wanted to be an astronomer. And I went to college mm. and studied, and I realized finally that it wasn't really about all, all the rational understanding. It was just about being out under the stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's not about rational anything. It's just... The heart opens, and whatever it is that's that's activated that, it's the actual opening of the heart that uh, connects you. <clears throat> Anything else? Okay. Well, it's about about time uh, anyway. Thanks, Andrew. One, one suggestion that I have before we close, uh, if you're wondering how to, um, to get, uh, to open to this perspective, um, I found as I was looking through papers and stuff the other day, um, a letter that I wrote to the Dharma. I'm not going to read it, but it's, it was all heart, <clears throat> and it was uh, it, it kind of uh, was following up when I said last week about Ramdas saying, "Well, have you ever told the Dharma you loved it?" And, and he said, "Go ahead, say I love you, Dharma." Well, this was actually a a f- uh, a a, um, a full-on exercise. Just start out, dear Dharma, or dear life, and write a letter of gratitude. Um, it'll open up that channel. So, with that, I invite you to go inside, connect with that heart that loves the truth, and appreciate that gift. And realize that it's a gift that shines through you and touches everyone you meet. May I connect with my love of the truth. May I share my love well. May I wake up to the highest happiness in my true nature. And then to extend that to everyone, may all know the highest happiness and peace and feel their love of life and the truth. And then Just a moment of gratitude to life. Whether you think of it as the mystery or God or the Dharma, just a moment. Thank you.
and then to share the merit. May any good that comes from us sharing the evening be shared with and for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all be free. May all know real peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.